You are listening to The Mother Good Podcast, episode number 31. I'm your host, Emily Carney. We at Mother Good believe that there's no way to be a perfect mom, but many ways to be a good one. Our content is judgment-free within the context of evidence-based research. Welcome to the Mother Good Podcast. I'm so excited for you to listen to today's guest, Mary Beth Ferrante, who is co-founder of Work360, which is a career developmental resource organization that advocates for inclusive workplaces for parents. Mary Beth is also senior contributor for Forbes Women, where you can read her articles that support working parents. Her work has also been featured on Today, Working Mother, Fairy God Boss, Scary Mommy, plus more. In this episode, Mary Beth offers excellent tips for working moms and dads. Some include tips for moms returning to work after having a baby, or for seasoned moms who want to negotiate work-life balance and communicate their needs with their work, plus much more. Her organization provides online parent courses, many of which are free as well. So some of the topics include how to ask for the flexibility and accommodations at work, child care and backup child care options, and the ins and outs of pumping at work. Work360 also provides free group coaching on Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, and Mary Beth has many free downloads on her website as well, including a very useful download for parents on child care plans during COVID-19 for dual career couples. I'm so excited for you to listen into our conversation today because just from my experience with talking with moms who I know who work, that it's really challenging to actually have that conversation with your workplace and communicate with them what your needs are and what a good work-life balance would look like and what sort of flexibility you need without coming across as looking like you're needy or you feel like your job is put in jeopardy. So Mary Beth gives really good tips on how to approach this topic with your workplace and then still maintaining a very excellent relationship with your work as well. Now keep in mind too that all of these tips that she talks about in this episode also apply to working dads as well. So even if you're a stay-at-home mom and you would like your husband to have more flexibility or just learn some tips on how to communicate the family's needs to his workplace better, then this episode is something that you definitely want to listen in on. You can find Mary Beth on Instagram at work360official. That's W-R-K 360 official. And also on her website at work360.com. Again, that's WRK360.com. So without further ado, here is my amazing conversation with Mary Beth. Hi, Mary Beth. Welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you on. Thank you so much for inviting me, Emily. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, could you tell us about yourself? I love your company, your mission statement, everything. And I'd love for you just to tell everyone briefly about yourself. Sure. Um, so obviously, I'm Mary Beth Bronte. I'm a mom of two. I have two young girls, two and four. Uh, I live in Los Angeles, and I'm the co-founder of Work360, and we are a career development platform for working parents. And what milestones have happened in your life to get you where you are today? How did you even start with this platform to try to bring awareness to this great issue? I had a baby, (laughs) right? So um, I had a baby and went back to work after my first uh, and really had a meh experience, I think is the best way to describe it. It wasn't horrible. It wasn't like I had blatant discrimination against me, but I also felt extremely isolated and felt there was a 
pretty significant lack of support. So I always kind of think about this as, a, as I should have been an easily retained employee. I had been growing in my career well. I was well liked on my team. I even got promoted to SVP well on leave. So all things seemed shiny and rosy and wonderful. But you know, when I went back to work at, I think I had about 12, 13 weeks off. I took a little extra time after my maternity leave. I walked back in to a team of all men, um, all ex-consultants, actually, McKinsey Consultants, so they have a particular, I think, uh, type A-ness about them, and, you know, really felt like I didn't have anyone who understood what I was going through. I had a full slate of projects the first day back. I was working that first weekend and just was thrown right back into it. And when I looked around for support, there just wasn't any. The, the women kind of in my broader team were older than me and, and really gave advice such as like, you're going to power through it or didn't even know what to say because they had actually taken time off when their children were young. And so I just felt like I needed something different. I always say that it's important to recognize though that I didn't totally love my job either. I think if I had like been super excited and invested in exactly what I was doing at the time, um, I probably would have just powered through. But for me, it was like a moment to step back and really think about what needed to change in my life and ultimately like what I thought needed to change for supporting women and all families as they're going back to work. I love how you said that what changed was that you had a baby because my experience was basically the same thing. I I don't really think unless you've gone through it yourself that you really have any idea what's what's going to hit you. And so for for me that was a big experience mm-hmm. as well um that I was not expecting at all. And so I know that your platform does support, um, I think you call it like a return to work program. So I love that aspect about it. So maybe can you tell us more exactly what Work360 does and also about that program since it seems like that was a catalyst for starting your organization? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we really believe in supporting all parents, so supporting birthing parents and non-birthing parents because that's such a critical component to all of this is making sure that you know, those people who are men, um, who are also adopting, fostering, etc., have similar support measures so that they can be successful in growing their career and growing their families, as well as, of course, the critical component of supporting birthing mothers. But what we've really found is, um, exactly to your point, you can kind of tell someone till they're, you're blue in the face about how the experience may impact them. But until you actually go through that transition and feel it for yourself, you just don't know how you're going to react. And we really think about this as kind of almost an identity crisis that you go through as becoming a working parent because you've you've been this one version of yourself as a professional for so long. And then you come out the other side of having a baby And you feel a lot of pressure to return to work and be exactly who you were before, yet your whole world has changed. And even if you still want to be the working professional that you were before, like at minimum, your logistics have changed, right? Your responsibilities have changed. You have to be available to pick up your kid, drop off your kid, like, you know, be there for bedtimes and things like that, or at least get the support in place to have that handled for you. So it's just a really big transition in a person's life. And quite frankly, employers feel 
uh, that they're doing enough just by providing time off. And it's not. It's just not enough. And so what we really are working on is designing programs for companies on how to make that experience better. And part of that is just education and giving support for working parents. So most of our platform is geared towards the parent and you know helping them kind of think about planning for leave, but then really focusing on how they can prepare to return to work. So getting themselves situated at home, thinking about all the conversations and what they want out of work, what has changed for them in terms of priorities, and really how they want to navigate some of those tough conversations. I mean, think about it. It's so hard to even have a conversation about pumping at work if you have a boss who's a 27-year-old man or you know a 57-year-old man who hasn't ever had to deal with this. So you know, I think really helping people navigate through that is, is a really big piece of this. But then the other thing that we do is we actually train managers. And I think this can be even more critical because you can be in the same organization and have the same policies, right? Have the same leave, uh, parental leave available to you. But if you have a boss who's super empathetic and who maybe has recently gone through it or just gets it, you're going to have a completely different experience than walking back into work with a boss that just doesn't really fully understand and they aren't going through it. So they're not, you know, on resources like the bump or motherly or reading about this all the time, right? Like we are as the people becoming parents. So we want to make sure that we're also training managers on how to support employees as they're returning. I love how you train both the employee and the employer side. So I'd like to talk about both of those separately. On the employer side, why is it important that employers support working moms specifically? Um, and how do you even get that message across? Because just as you were saying, most employers just think as long as they give the time off, protect the job, basically as long as they fo- follow the law that they're doing enough. Why would they, if, if there's an employer listening, maybe a small business owner or someone who's in a managerial position, why is it important for them to even care about doing the the bare minimum of protecting uh, a working mom's time off? Yeah. So there's a lot of layers to that question, to be honest. I think there's, of course, from the dollars and cents perspective, if you are able to retain that employee and create a good relationship with them, then your investment in them really continues. Whereas if you you know, create a space where that experience is not great, women are leaving positions. 2% of women plan to leave after having a baby, yet we're still seeing about 43% of women are off-ramping or leaving completely. And a recent study by Motherly actually showed that 50% of moms are changing careers or pivoting their roles to be more flexible and adaptable to their life as a mom. So from like the dollars and cents perspective of it, if you don't retain your employees, we're talking anywhere from half to four times the salary of that employee to replace them. So there's a huge economic reason for employers to kind of focus on how they can continue that support for working parents and particularly for working mothers. But then if we look at it kind of on the long term, it also is about kind of how they're they're understanding gender dynamics within their organization. Are they looking to have more women in leadership? You know, it's very interesting that the pay gap for men and women is somewhat equal-ish <laughs> until about like 
early 30s, late 20s. It's right about the time when people are having families. And that's where we actually see the pay gap is almost exclusively a caretaking gap. And so the person who's actually most responsible in the primary caregiver, which almost always falls on a woman, not always, not every single time, but very often, that's where the pay gap really divides. So if, if employers and companies have a commitment to you know, having more gender equality or more representation of women in leadership, they have to find ways to support caregivers, to allow women to play both roles, and to also allow men to play both roles. You know, part of this is some reducing some of the stigma. One of the things that we highly recommend for companies is that they actually look at equal parent parental leave. So instead of having, you know, maternity and paternity, by having equal, adequate, and accessible leave, regardless of how you start your family, it really reduces the stigma for the women who have been taking this long leave period and kind of puts everybody on the same page. We've had men, you know, share with us and especially managers that they're like, look, you know, if I'm looking at a 28-year-old man and a 28-year-old woman to join my team, like I'm choosing the man every time because I know that that woman is likely to go out on leave, you know, two or three times over the next, let's say, six years. And so that's still happening today in 2020. But if we can equalize some of the policies and then provide reasonable support for all parents, it really helps reduce that stigma and keep women engaged and keep them in the leadership pipeline. It really seems like the bigger companies to really get that, especially the the higher tech companies like in Silicon Valley and mm-hmm. and just more yeah. forward thinking companies. And obviously, I mean, they're they're seeing something that most other companies aren't seeing. So I, I think that they are getting what you're saying. It's just everyone else that kind of seems to be lagging in that department. So let's talk now on the employee side. You said that you also give tips on on working moms or working parents on how to have that conversation with their boss. And I know just from my limited personal experience of talking with other friends who worked or attempted to work after having kids that basically the communication between them and their bosses seemed to be little to none. So yep. what, what yep. would you tell moms who are in that kind of situation. And I, I mean, I, I know that there's a big fear factor there too, uh, that they don't, they don't want to yeah. lose their job or they're just afraid, or they don't even know how to approach that situation. Just as you were saying, if they have, um, you know, if it's a young man or even an older man who has no idea what pumping is, and it's just an awkward situation. Uh, what, I guess, what are some tips that you give uh, working parents who find themselves in a situation where they do need to speak up and what encouragement would you give them to do that? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, first and foremost, I always believe that you have to feel safe enough to have the conversation. So if you're really afraid of retaliation or you're afraid that you're going to get let go because of the conversation, then that means we really need to take a step back and probably think about making a move into a different company, a different team, or somewhere where you're going to feel supported. But if you feel like it's maybe just, you know, they don't get it yet, or it feels awkward, but you don't think that having those conversations are going to actually cause you to get fired immediately, which of course would be legal action that you could take, um, then it's really about providing people with the tools and the resources to be able to have those conversations. So a lot of our return to work program focuses on you know, what are the conversations that they need to have? So how do you think about this with your boss? How do you present it from 
a leadership perspective, right? If you go in and you are much more directive about what you need in terms of accommodations or flexibility, but you also recognize what the challenges might be from your employer's perspective or from your manager's perspective, you can go in with a better plan. And ultimately, you know, we have to be willing to compromise and willing to have ongoing discussions, but people also need to know what's the language that they can use to actually make sure that their their request is getting heard. You know, a lot of times we hear from people that, oh, well, if I ask for flexibility or if I ask for a reduced schedule, then I'm always met with, well, if I do it for you, I have to do it for everyone. And that's simply not true. You know, if you can think about making those requests as temporary accommodations because Perhaps you're, you know, still getting some postpartum support or you're a nursing parent or you just, you know, are not emotionally or physically ready to be back in the office. You know, thinking about it more from a temporary accommodation standpoint and the way that you're uh, approaching the conversation can actually make your manager and your employer recognize that this isn't, a, you know, everybody has to do this and this is something that we're going to have to roll out for the whole company. And they're just much more amenable and willing to work with you. So that's what we really focus on in the return to work program is just, you know, getting people ready to have those conversations at work with their peers, with their manager, with their direct reports, how they can really re-communicate and establish those kind of communication um, channels based on what's changed for them in their day to day. But then also making sure that they're thinking about what's going on at home. I'm a really big believer that at the end of the day, we have to align our career and our family strategies together. We have to really look at them as one overarching strategy for your family, as well as for you personally about what you want in your career, because you have to feel supported at home to be able to even focus at work. You know, if you don't have childcare set up or you feel uneasy about your child care, or if you have a partner at home that's just not supportive and isn't willing to do their share of the work, like you're going to feel overwhelmed. You're not going to be supported and you're not going to feel as invested in your career. What if moms listening want to take it a step further? So they've made some suggestions, but they really want their workplace to participate in your a, a training program or your training program that better supports um, or that informs them on how to better support working moms. Um, do you have any materials or or suggestions on how to talk through some of that? If if you want to encourage your employer to participate in that kind of that kind of program, yeah, definitely. So one thing that people can do is to first just even ask their employer to support them by paying for the program for them as the employee, so that they realize that they're even like going through a course. So we have. Um, you know, a quick downloadable that you can kind of has a letter that you can send to your boss about why it's important um, so that they know that you're, you're really thinking about this from a career perspective and that can open up the dialogue. And then if they're really interested in getting the support for their manager, you know, definitely we are, we're available to send a demo to actually enroll them to help them kind of get that first user in the door to see what it looks like, and then see if it's something that the the company would want to roll out. And just as you were saying, too, that once you have that conversation, and you're working at a place that really wants to support people, but it's just more a matter of ignorance, I think that they would be more apt to do something because I'm I mean, the only experience I really have on this, because my current company is really great about it, which I'm really lucky. It's the first place is actually really good about having a great culture to support employees. 
Uh, but I have in the past done some contract work with a company and they just did not get it at all. And I felt super uncomfortable for saying something, but then I, I just decided to take a leap and just say a couple of things and they were actually really receptive. And so even though I felt really uncomfortable, it, it ended up turning out to be okay, which I was shocked. And and then they implemented those policies in the rest of their organization from what I know. So I, I mean, I guess the other way to look at it too is that you're not only helping yourself, but also future women. And that's one yeah. thing that I always, I've told my friends in the past, it's like, if you don't want to say it for yourself, say it for the next woman, you know, because I think a lot of women mm-hmm. just think, oh, well, it's okay if I pump in my car, I pump in the bathroom because it's kind of like, I don't know if it's a martyr mom yeah. complex. I know that a lot of moms tend to have that, but a lot of moms totally. just say, oh, I'll just suck it up. But they don't realize that it's going to be for the next mom too. Yeah. Well, to be honest, it's kind of crazy. I was in a conference now probably a couple of years ago and a very senior executive uh, stood up and said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for not talking about my kids more. I'm sorry for not speaking up for all women and for all parents. I'm sorry for not encouraging the women on my team to speak about their experience as a parent because she really believes, and I I agree, that by continuing to not talk about it, we put these barriers up and we create these cultures that kind of just, everyone's just powering through and and nothing's getting changed. And so if we can actually break down those barriers, have those conversations, kind of end secret parenting in the workplace, then that's when policies and support do change. I mean, ultimately, like my angle is that I'm put out of a job because companies are better at supporting parents and they don't need, you know, the additional support that we provide right now. Definitely. I want to switch gears a little bit to talk about, since you're talking about discrimination and pregnancy discrimination, does that still exist in the workforce? force from what you've seen? And if women are listening, what are some examples of that if they kind of suspect that they're facing that? Yeah, so it definitely happens. And it happens blatantly. And it happens unconsciously. In kind of corporate America, you know, white collar jobs, it is seems to be much more subtle. Um, Occasionally, you get some blatant discrimination, but it's usually more you know, comments like, oh, are you even coming back to work? Oh, this is going to be the last time I ever see you. Or, you know, um, talking about parental leave and maternity leave as a vacation, asking people if they're going to be able to continue in their role, you know, just kind of these perceptions that you're not going to perform because you are becoming a parent. And that makes people just feel generally uneasy. And this is where it starts, right? They start to feel like they can't talk about their kids. They can't ask for those accommodations. They can't you know, get flexibility in their workplace because then they're going to be, be perceived as less than. On the flip side, we do some, see some blatant discrimination. Um, you know, We've had people have their role taken away from them. They've had their team taken away from them. Um, they're you know, not able to get put on a project or be put up for promotion because they are currently pregnant. So that happens too. And it's, and it's much more clear discrimination. And I think it, for anyone who's going through this, you know, documenting it and kind of also checking yourself with, you know, another friend or a colleague about whether or not this is normal or, you know, what you're feeling is truly discrimination. And then engaging HR if the if you have a culture of support from your HR team, um, I think is also a really big way to make sure that you're, you're getting the support that you need to stay in and also being able to stand up for yourself when you feel, you know, that it's... Um, 
that you feel supported to do so. No, those are really good tips. I I really like all those. So switching gears a little bit again, uh, I love how you always post on your platform about parental leave and paid leave. And I was just curious what you thought, what what you think the government's role in this should be. Do you think it should be businesses providing paid leave or should that be the government's job? Or is it something that government and businesses should be working together on? What are your thoughts on how that should all work out? Right. So right now, um, with the current state where it is solely on employers to determine whether or not they provide any paid leave, only 20% of employees in the US actually have access to paid leave, which is clearly not enough. <laughs> and we're also seeing- is that in- sorry to interrupt, but is that including um, the California state paid leave, do you know, or you're just talking about companies? No, so meaning across the country right now today, only 20% of US employees have access to any sort of paid leave. Got it. Okay. Right. So that does include Californians because you have to remember that while California is such a huge state, um, not many employees are actually not eligible for even the state paid leave, given the current requirements around it. So they don't meet FMLA guidelines. They don't work for a company that's large enough. um, Or they might be like a freelancer or contractor where they're not eligible for leave. So there's a lot of reasons why people that even live in states that have paid leave are still not able to get access to it. From that perspective, I actually really do believe that the government needs to step in. We are the only country that doesn't have access out of all of the OECD countries, which basically are like the wealthiest countries across the world. We are the only ones that don't offer anything. And it's a problem. You know, 25% of women are going back to work at two two weeks postpartum, which is insane. Yeah, no, that I think that that's terrible. And I, I agree with you on that too, that, you know, the United States is one of the most developed countries in the world. And then we can't even impl- uh, pay women when they go on leave. And then I really love how uh, California has it set up. I know that we've had a previous podcast on that, but it's not like the government's just giving a complete handout. Like you women actually pay the taxes on their paycheck. So it's kind of like insurance where you're paying into it. And then when you need to use it, you pay out. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of people never need to use it. So it just kind of goes into that fund. So I like how that's set up. So it's not just like a complete handout that you're actually paying into it. So I think that's great. Yeah. And I think ultimately, it's going to be a combination, right? We need a federal policy because companies need to have that baseline of support. And then I do think that employers that want to go further should, right? I think companies that currently have leave policies that are going to go beyond any federal policy should continue those. And it will continue to be a way that they um, engage talent and, and you know, get the best people in the door by offering that as a benefit. But ultimately, we need that baseline from the federal government. Definitely. Uh, what are your thoughts on working remote? I know that amidst this epidemic right now that a lot of people are working remotely. Do you think that that's also something that employers should have? or And if you're an employee, should you advocate for that? So it's interesting. I mean, we are we are talking right now in the midst of the coronavirus uh, crisis, right? So everybody is working remotely. Well, actually, not everybody. It's only about 30% of US employees that even can work remotely. So I think that it can be a really great resource, especially if you're in an organization in an environment that has it available. 
Um, I think that when we're thinking about remote work policies, it shouldn't just be geared to parents, though. It really should be a policy that any employee in your organization can access because then it makes it more normal and it's not something that gets you mommy tracked. You know, oftentimes if it's only working mothers that are using a remote policy, that is almost a way for them to just be pushed out of the leadership pipeline. So you want to think holistically about a work remote policy and how you're engaging people in it. But ultimately, I think it depends on, you know, a few things like what's your job? Is it even possible? There's a lot of jobs that aren't possible to do remotely. Um, You know, what's your personality? Do you have the space to work remotely and be, you know, not interrupted? Is it conducive to your work style? So I think it's a great option. It shouldn't ever be forced, but it also should be available, you know, more widely than just the parent population. And I think there's a lot of what millennials want to, they want the remote access and the ability to work remotely. I know that a few years ago, I was working with a firm that did not believe in remote working whatsoever. And there was only one mom. So everyone asking, they were all just young millennials and they're just sick of having to come into the office and face LA traffic just to do what they could be doing at home. And it was just so funny how the leadership just pushed back on it. And they thought, oh, you know, this is dumb. But so many people were leaving because basically every other firm was allowing that. And then they they just kept on saying, no, we will never allow work work remotely, like work from home, never, never, like we want everyone to be in the office. And then right before I ended up leaving, it's funny because then they they issued a new policy where I think you could remote or you could work remotely like one or two days a week or something just to kind of alleviate the the traffic, the, the, yeah. the sitting in traffic all the time and the commuting. So it's just so funny that it's not only moms who want it. It's just, I, I just think it's our generation Everyone. too. Right. Exactly, exactly. And I think there's, you know, there's such a a need for that ability to have that space and to have that flexibility in the way that you work if it's available to the to the job that you do. And I also think that part of it is, you know, the experience that you're going through. And for millennials, we don't understand why someone would not let us work remotely, because we're so used to being able to plug in at any time. And we're in a culture where you are available to your job outside of, you know, nine to five or nine to six. And so we're already working remotely in the evenings and on the weekends and when we're, you know, flying across the country for our our jobs. And so it seems like a huge disconnect. And then, you know, I also think that people who then become parents might seem, understand more why people are looking for that remote access. I had a client who she ran a team and never believed in it. She had a kid and she went back and she was like, no, how do I approach my team? Because I want to work remotely and I want to change the policy for my team. But I feel like I you know, have been misleading them for so long. And, and how can I go back and now say I've changed my tune? And, and I think sometimes you do have to have that experience to understand people's perspective and to really you know, know why it could be such a great resource for the broader organization. Right. And it, it does seem like it's going in that direction too, to allow more uh, remote access mm-hmm. as well. So, Well, right now in the coronavirus, everybody's figuring it out, right? So we know that we can get <laughs> extra access to our workers and people can be productive. Um, but I do think it's also important to recognize that this particular crisis is not a work from home experiment because you know people are dealing with the fact that they don't have childcare right now. And that is not normal. When you're working remotely, most people do still have 
you know, childcare providers and they can 100% focus on work. Right, exactly. Like this is definitely a very unique situation. Mostly when you work from home, you have childcare. I know I, I only know one mom who actually doesn't have childcare and her kids are angels because I've, I've been out to eat with them and I don't know how she does it, but yeah. I think that's just a complete one-off. So most of us, I think, are in this stuck <laughs> in this situation. Um, it's not a good thing. <laughs> so Yeah, totally, totally. So great. Well, I've loved learning everything about your organization and um, where can moms find it online if they want to check out more about it? Yeah. So our website is work360, WRK360.com. And you can find me mostly on Instagram and LinkedIn. On Instagram, we're at WRK360 official, or you can find me personally at MB Ferrante, F-E-R-R-A-N-T-E. Um, and also Mary Beth Ferrante on LinkedIn. And we, you know, also, also want to always offer anyone listening to this podcast 20% off. So if you're interested in any of our courses, just put in Mother Good in the um, checkout and you'll get 20% off. Wow. Thank you so much for that generosity. I really, we really appreciate it. So in closing, could you uh, answer the question that we always ask all of our moms, just get a little bit personal of an example of a time when you realize it's okay to not be a perfect mom and it's okay to be a good one instead? This moment right now. Uh, so we are amidst this kind of coronavirus issue and dealing with it in real time. And while we're recording this podcast, my husband had to get on a last minute phone call. And so we gave iPads to our girls to occupy them so that we could both focus on work for a little bit. Um, so it's happening at this very moment. But I also really do believe in a good enough mantra most of the time. We're all doing the best that we can. And you know, in a world where we think that we have to be the perfect parent and the perfect employee, that's just not possible. And so it's not really about finding perfect balance or you know, being that perfect employee or perfect mom. It's just about figuring out what works for you and what works for your family and for your priorities. I love that so much. Mary Beth Sink, thank you so much for joining us today. Really enjoyed our conversation. Me too. Thank you, Emily. 